This will be the third week in a row that we will be looking at the armor of God. This armor is key to be able to resist the attacks that will come your way. And as we noted in the very first of this series, that if you are in Jesus Christ, that is, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in the grace of God in Jesus Christ for salvation, then you will come under attack. Now, whether that attack is from Satan himself or one of his minions or from people that are his conduit of evil or simply from your own sin nature, if you are a believer, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you will experience opposition. You will experience attacks and you will experience temptations. You don't need to yield to them, but temptations will come your way and struggles, spiritual struggles will come your way. We are not guaranteed that all is going to be easy. All will be well. It is well with my soul, but that doesn't mean it's easy. We will experience confrontation. And in the equipping of the Lord and in His power, we have the ability to be victorious over the attacks. The way to be victorious over the attacks that we will face is to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. That is only possible as you are armed in all that God has provided you to be armed in, and so be victorious. Now, we've also noted that this passage comes immediately, in Ephesians chapter 6 here, it comes immediately after Paul gives a whole list of commands for the one who is a follower of Christ. The only way you are able to be obedient to what God has commanded you is if you are strong in the Lord and the power of His might, equipped with all that He provides you. Satan wants to trip you up. He wants to distract you. He wants to lure you away, particularly from obedience to God. And ultimately, every attack that you experience is meant to keep you from trusting God and to keep you from obeying God. And He will bring these attacks against you. So if you want to be victorious, if you want to be victorious over sin, you want to be victorious over temptation, you want to live in obedience to God, then be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, equipped fully with all that he has provided you. So Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read verse 10 to 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your waist, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. May God bless to us the reading of his word this morning. Now, to break this passage down to simple points, I have said that you can be a force to be reckoned with, or you can be victorious in your Christian walk if you know your enemy, 
Know your standing in Christ and know your dependency upon Christ. Now, we've already looked at know your enemy and we've looked at know your standing. This morning, we're going to look at know your dependency. But note first, for context there, knowing your enemy means knowing how Satan operates and how his host of demons operate. It is recognizing that there is a system of evil in the world that uses deceit and trickery and craftiness and every other destructive weapon available to lead us astray. This is a powerful system of evil led by the prince of darkness who has been given power to tempt and to try believers and to spread evil and chaos and confusion in the world. We must know who he is and how he operates so we can adequately, wellly be on guard against him. As it says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. However, if you are in Christ, you certainly do not need to fear him. You do not need to fear Satan. He is still under God's sovereign control and he cannot force you to act against your will. That will is to be surrendered to God and is to be actively resisting Satan. You are able to be victorious as you trust in the power of the Lord and as you are armed with all that God has provided. The second point was knowing your standing or know your standing. That means not just to know the individual pieces of the Roman armor that he speaks about here in Ephesians chapter 6, but actually to stand in them, stand in the equipping of God. We are, as we saw last week, to stand in truth. We are to stand in righteousness. We are to stand on the gospel. We are to stand in faith. We are to stand in our salvation. We are to stand on the word. Each of these spiritual realities must be in place. We must be equipped with them and standing in them. Plant our feet and our lives firmly on them. We are to both acknowledge these standings and so stand accordingly. And if you're not familiar with any given one of those, I would refer you back to the sermon from last week. Today I want to look at the last point. Know your dependency. So if you want to be victorious, you want to be a force to be reckoned with. Know your enemy, know your standing, and know your dependency. That might sound like a little bit of a strange statement or a strange title. We have just looked at all the equipment that we have at our disposal. So why are we dependent on anyone or anything else? We have truth, and we have righteousness, and we have the gospel, and we have faith, and we have salvation, and we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our armor is complete, prayerfully. You are complete in your armor, right? You're wearing this armor. It's a reality. You're standing in it. Well, why would we need anything else? This bright and shining and fearsome armor that you've got on. You are a warrior dressed for battle. You're marching out in splendor and glory, aren't we? Well, yes, we are. And I think that is the very reason why Paul reminds us in the latter part of this message or passage here, that we are ultimately dependent on God. We should realize that that dependency already, if we go back to the title of that very formidable armor that we have put on, it is called the armor of God. It isn't our armor. It isn't of our making. It belongs to God. And although it is for our equipping, we do not somehow become independent of the maker the moment we don the armor. And we are clearly reminded of that in verse 18, that we continue to be wholly dependent upon God. It doesn't matter how shiny your armor is if you are not enabled by the Holy Spirit through prayer. We must be enabled, we must be dependent upon Him. 
So after we have four verses here which are describing this awesome armor, this glorious armor, we come to verse 18 and the subject of prayer. And note that prayer is not part of the armor itself. Prayer is not something that we are to put on. Prayer is to be the life breath of the soldier. It is the very fiber of his or her strength in the Lord is prayer. Believer's Bible Commentary says of prayer, it is the atmosphere in which the soldier must live and breathe. It is the spirit in which he must don the armor and face the foe. It's to be an ever-present reality. It goes far beyond the armor itself to encompass every aspect, every aspect of the armor and of the soldier and of the battle and of this assault that is against us. We are to be in prayer. Albert Burns' notes in the Bible says this, and I think it's very well put. No matter how complete the the armor, no matter how skilled we we may be in the science of war, no matter how courageous we may be, we may be certain that without prayer we shall be defeated. God alone can give the victory, and when the Christian soldier goes forth armed completely for the spiritual conflict, if he looks to God by prayer, he may be sure of triumph. Going forward armed and in prayer. Prayer is vital. Prayer is that lifeline between you and your Heavenly Father. Prayer is such an integral part here of the Christian resistance of evil that even Paul, possibly the greatest Christian who has ever lived, implores that the readers of this passage would pray for himself in verse 19 and 20. But going back to the specifics of prayer, as it pertains to the spiritual warfare in resisting Satan, In verse 18, after Paul has laid out the armor of God, he says, Praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That concludes that section on the armor. Yes, he, he goes after and says, and for me, pray for me. But we have here, right after the armor, this call, this cry, this command, this challenge, pray. Pray, and there's so much contained in one verse. So that's all we're going to focus on this morning is just verse 18. We see here that we are to pray always. We are to pray all kinds of prayer. We are to pray asking God for good things. We are to pray in the Spirit. We are to pray alertly. We are to pray with perseverance, and we are to pray for others. All of that contained in one verse, in verse 18. So we're just going to go through those one at a time, hopefully fairly shortly, each one. Verse 18 starts with pray always. The verse doesn't start there. In the New King James Version, it says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then verse 18, praying always. So praying always could be tagged to every piece of the armor. It's a continuation of the thought of putting on these pieces of armor. Essentially, you could say, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, in verse 10, praying always. Put on the whole armor of God, praying always. And having done all, to stand, praying always. Put on the belt of truth, praying always. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, praying always. Take the shield of faith, praying always. You get what I'm saying, right? Prayer is to be perpetual. It is to cover every part of your life and every part of the battle that you were in. When it says here, Praying always, it literally means that. Pray, pray, and pray, and pray. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you stop doing everything else that you're doing and don't actually do anything but pray. It's not as if you have to close your eyes and bow your heads and stay right where you are until the day you die, just praying. But in everything you do, be praying. When you get up, be praying. When you have breakfast, be praying. At work and at school, be praying. At play, be praying. In the office or the field or the park or wherever it is, be praying. Be in constant, open communication with your Heavenly Father. Ask Him things and comment on things and think prayers and sing prayers. This isn't meant to be some heavy weight of responsibility that wearies us or burdens us. But pray always. A picture that may help here, and I've used this before, is your own relationship with someone that you love. Is there someone that you want or that you have wanted to share every moment with? Maybe that has faded from memory for some of you, but I pray at one point or another you were madly in love with someone. Hopefully that is your spouse if you're married, and prayerfully still is your spouse. But remember especially that puppy love stage of a relationship. We'll call it infatuation for lack of a better term. You couldn't stop thinking about the person. And your work or school or any other activity was essentially a write-off because you were so distracted thinking about this person. The reality is we can have that relationship with God without it distracting us from actually doing what he calls us to do. We can have that type of thought process all the time where we are focused on him, where we want to be in communication, where we are in communication with him, praying always. It's not a grudging obligation, but it's a joyful privilege. Maybe a better illustration or analogy, since we have the technology to make it possible, is the constant contact between some of you and your spouses via your cell phone. How many times a day do you drop your wife or your husband a message or a smiley face text or a little kiss emoticon or whatever it is you use, assuming you both have cell phones? Or you see even something as simple, you see something like, you know, a beautiful sight or a picture or The other day, there was a whole lot of water in the garden, so I just clicked a picture of that and sent it to my wife regularly. And for some of you, it could actually be a distraction, but you get the picture, right? We have, because of technology, the ability to, in a sense, be in continual contact with the one that we want to be in contact with. It takes very, very little time. I mean, hopefully, it isn't a distraction, but to send an emoticon, to send something, right? You know, we have that with God. We have had that all along with God. We never needed technology to be developed to be in constant communication with God. So pray always. Prayer is that link, that constant connect between you and God. So pray always. And it's commanded very, very clearly here. The first one to pray always. The second one is pray all kinds of prayers. The verse says, praying always with all prayer. It's a weird way to put things. That's the New King James way of putting it. Praying all prayer. What does that even mean? This may be a bit of a foreign concept to us in the church today, but there are distinctly different kinds of prayer. Notice here that there's even a distinction between, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. So there's a difference between the all kinds of prayer and supplication. And we'll look at supplication in the next point, but generally supplication is asking for something specific. It's actually making a request of God. We, today, tend to lump all prayer into that kind of prayer. We pray and we ask God for things. That is how we do it. But supplication is a distinct kind of prayer. So then if God, or sorry, if asking God for something isn't the type of prayer that Paul means when he says praying always with all prayer, what kind of prayer is he talking about? How about prayers of adoration and exaltation and worship? Praise. 
giving God praise? How about prayers of contrition, repentance, humiliation? How about prayers of thanksgiving? Perhaps prayers of expressions of love. When is the last time you prayed and just told God in your prayer how much you loved him? I tend to do that, but then I tag on things, right? That's kind of like a child to their parent. I love you so much, I want something from you. <laughs> When's the last time we just went and said, God, I'm so thankful, I, I love you, I appreciate you, I, I'm, just, I'm in awe of who you are. There are many different styles of prayer, and there's a lot more prayers than just that, but we tend to gravitate towards, or at least I tend to gravitate towards just one. And if praying always with all prayer means all these different kinds of prayer, it also includes all the different venues or styles of prayer. Pray in public, pray in private, pray in song and dance, and in stillness and reverence. Pray in earnest deliberation and in spontaneous excitement. Pray in a liturgical, formal, conservative form, maybe even where you read from a prayer book. Have you ever read a prayer from some past hero of the faith or from a, maybe a denominational prayer book? They put words together in prayer that I wouldn't think to put together, and it can be powerful and deeply meaningful. I have here a Christian minister's manual. It's a cheat sheet for pastors. This is, uh, this is not really an ancient one. It's not real new, but it was used by my father and by my grandfather as well. And it includes directions and programs for everything from baptismals to hospital visits to dedication of a pulpit. It covers pretty much everything. It also contains within it pages of short prayers. These are particularly helpful at funerals or at graveside services, especially when you don't know the person and you don't know how to pray specifically. It has some ideas that are presented here. But listen to one or two of these prayers, maybe three of them. And these are prayers of invocation. This is what we would call the opening prayer at a service. At the invitation of Christ we come, dear Father, to wait before your throne. We stand here not in our own righteousness, but clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. We have received your grace, and our hearts are warmed by your Holy Spirit. Blessed be your name, O God, and blessed be this time of worship. O Lord, how marvelous are your works! How excellent is your name! In this changing world, you alone are eternal. Your days have no end. Our breath is soon gone, our strength exhausted. Come into our heart today, we ask, and renew our spirits with your presence we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. From our crowded lives we come before you, O God, seeking peace and calm. Surrounded with material things, we are still lonely and fearful. Replace our hollow laughter with the joy of Christ. Fill our emptiness with your spirit, we pray through Christ. Now, maybe that's not your style of prayer. But there's something that I, just, I see as beautiful in that. And yes, it's liturgical and there's a form and there's structure to it. But often I have, in preparation for funerals particularly, sat and read through some of these. And just They actually took time to think this through and put it down on paper so that I could reflect upon it and, and possibly share it. They put the words together just in a, a powerful and, and what I see as a meaningful way. Now, regardless of whether you use that or any of these other venues, any of these other options... Pray always with all kinds of prayer. This should not replace our regular informal style of prayer, but use all kinds of prayer as we pray. Thirdly, it commands us to pray 
prayers of supplication or pray asking God for things. Now, when I say that, that does not mean that we are to ask God for a personal jet or a luxury yacht. But supplicant is to, or supplication is to come as a supplicant, to ask God for something. It is to make request of God. And this is specific. This form we are familiar with, right? We ask God for an extra measure of grace as we deal with a trying person, or we ask God for strength to resist temptation. There are, there is place, definitely, to go to God asking for specific things. There's even place to ask Him to provide for our needs, even down to our specifics of clothes and food and our house. In the Lord's Prayer, we are told to pray in this manner. And one of the lines says, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. That is supplication. And the wonderful thing is that God delights when we come to Him and we ask Him for things, good things. Not when we do it out of selfishness, but when there is a genuine need or a godly desire, God delights to satisfy that need. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 11. Jesus speaking says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him, who are supplicants, who come in a prayer of supplication. If your child comes and asks for something that is for their good and you have within your ability to provide, would you not be delighted, both that they came and asked you for something that's good, but to actually provide it for them? And God knows what is truly for our good and his resources are limitless. So can we not see how he delights to give as we come to him in prayers of supplication? So pray, asking God for things, for good things. Fourthly, pray in the Spirit. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, just a moment ago, I remarked on the depth and beauty of liturgical written prayers, but we must be careful that in those and in our habitual prayer life, we don't just begin to pray by routine or by mindless pattern. It was one of the dangers of having a responsive type service or prayer where you know when to stand, know when to sit, what to repeat and what to say at set points. It can come where that's just a dead duty. Rather than that, we are to pray in the Spirit. That means to pray as you are led and enabled by the Spirit. It isn't to be some dry recitation, a recitation, but alive by the Spirit's power. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life, you have been made alive by the Spirit. And so our prayer springs from that life within us. Truthfully, without the Spirit, we cannot pray as we ought to pray. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Pray in the Spirit. Now, that's not some special kind of prayer. It's not a spiritual gift. It's not even a super spiritual prayer. This is simply acknowledging our weakness and trusting the Holy Spirit who has been given to every believer to speak in us and through us, and when we are completely unable to speak, to speak for us to God the Father. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit. That is an awesome and a delightful thing. So pray in the Spirit. Fifthly, pray alertly. This one is easy to miss. But where it says, being watchful to this end, 
basically that means praying alertly. So not only is it hard to, or easy to miss, but it's hard to do. You can find yourself praying, and in the midst of that prayer, especially by yourself when you're praying silently, your mind just automatically wants to drift off, wants to wander. Or that you suddenly discover how desperately tired you are when you close your eyes to pray. Be diligent in prayer, though. Be focused in your prayer. The verse in the NIV says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Oh, sorry, that's in the New King James, being watchful to this end. The NIV says, with this in mind, be alert. Prayer is work. Prayer is disciplined work. It requires energy and focus and intentionality. Satan wants to keep you from praying. Your sin nature wants to keep you from praying. You must apply yourself to it if you are to resist Satan and to be victorious. There's a few simple ways to do that. Write your prayers down. Keep a prayer journal. It's a good way. Speak your prayers out loud. There's something about speaking them silently in your head. You can easily lose track, but when you actually have to formulate words to put it into a sentence, it helps you to concentrate. Pray first thing in the morning rather than last thing as you're going to bed and the lights are already off and you're lying there. Turn off something that may distract you and keep you from praying. Shut off the TV. Set aside the cell phone or other digital device. There's lots of things that we can do practically that help us to be alert and intentional in prayer. Develop a pattern in prayer without it becoming rigid and lifeless. But the Lord's Prayer is is given to us to set an example or to set a pattern in a sense, right? The Lord's Prayer starts out with adoration of God, our Father who art in heaven, exaltation of Him, hallowed be Thy name, Thy kingdom come. It talks about, okay, God, I exalt You for who You are. I want Your will to come on earth. And after it speaks about who God is and what we want God or what we are asking that God would do in His sovereignty, then it goes to ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. There's a pattern there. Keep us from evil. There's a pattern there. And it's fine to work through a pattern as long as, once again, it doesn't become just rigid. If Satan or sin can keep you from communicating with your Heavenly Father, they already have a foothold. Don't give them that leverage. Pray, and pray alertly. There's two more. I realize I'm pushing my time here. Pray with perseverance and pray for others. The pray with perseverance, some of you know exactly what that's about. You've already been praying for someone for a long time. And all I can say to you is keep praying. Keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking. God's timing is perfect, and God's the gifts that God grants are perfect as well. So keep praying. Pray with perseverance. And the challenge to persevere in prayer is not just about our request, though. It is also about to be persevering in prayer in the midst of the attack. Because this whole passage is about how we resist the attacks of Satan against us, right? Strong in our armor, persevering in prayer. Be strong in the Lord, the power of His might, persevere in prayer. Pray for others. We're told to be alert and to keep on praying, not just for ourselves, but for all the saints. Pray for believers. Pray for the church. This is, it can be a good gauge of your prayer life, actually, particularly of your supplication, of your requests. When you pray, is 99% about myself or the things that I need, or is it for others? At the end of this, or the conclusion of this passage, Paul says, pray for others. Pray with supplication. Continue, persevere in prayer for others, for all other believers. Now, admittedly, we can't pray for every believer that we know every day, and we may not have the slightest idea of what others are in the midst of, but the reality is that if you are a child of God, then you are under attack, and you weren't meant to survive that attack by being on your own, but by being supported by one another in prayer. Every believer that you meet 
or every believer that you know has some area of need in their life. They have some struggle or some trial or some hurt, and they need you to be praying for them. If you don't know what to pray, then still pray the more. And I guarantee you won't know the impact of your prayer on that given individual. But I am certain that it will be far greater than you can imagine. Your prayer is more necessary than you can know, than you can fathom. And the impact of that, Lord willing, will stretch into eternity future. Your prayer for someone else. You may have no other means of impacting someone, but pray for them. And it is the greatest means of impacting them. Pray for others. You're dependent upon God. We are dependent upon God. If you know Him as Lord and Savior, you still, you are always and will always be dependent upon Him. Continually, perpetually, unceasingly. So go to Him. Take your burdens and your cares to Him. Take your struggles to Him. Take your attacks that you are facing to Him. Take your joys and your triumphs and your victories to Him as well. Pray. At the end of this list of armor, He says, pray. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Pray always. Pray all kinds of prayer. Pray prayers of supplications. That's asking God for things. Pray in the Spirit. Pray alertly. Pray with perseverance and pray for others. Victory is not within your ability to gain. But if you are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, by knowing your enemy, knowing your standing, and knowing your dependency upon God, you can be assured of victory. And not just victory in a grudging manner, but even the joy of the Lord in the midst of that battle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can come to you, that we can continually come to you, that we can pray always, and without that being rigid or harsh or, or something that weighs us down. And Lord, we thank you that the only reason we can come to you is because the blood of Jesus Christ has been shed on our behalf, and we've been restored to right relationship with you. We thank you for that gift of grace and mercy. We thank you for your equipping, for your enabling, that you have, you have provided. You are the one who has granted both your power, your might, but also all this armor, each piece of it, and, and we are to have it fully applied to us. And in the, in the midst of that, the application of that, and the battle that surrounds us, or the battle that goes on before and after and during that, we thank you that you are never distant from us, but you are there. And at this moment, you are here in the midst of whatever we face. Cause us to turn to you. Cause us to delight in you. Cause us to seek you and to, to beseech you and to implore you and to supplicate you. We thank you that you have promised that when we pray according to the will of the Father, that you hear and answer. And as we saw today, even you grant the requests of those who come to you when we ask good things. And we thank you. We thank you that you are, although you are a righteous judge, you are our heavenly Father. And that in love and grace and mercy, you, you are happy to pour out your hand of blessing. So Lord, we seek you once again. Cause us to continue to seek you. Cause us as well, as we depend upon you, to be victorious in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.